This episode of our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by Zapper. Zapper is one of the world's leading XR companies. Over the past 12 years, they've won numerous awards for memorable campaigns. They've democratized AR by making tools and SDKs that anyone can use. And they created Zapbox, the world's most affordable mixed reality headset. Most recently, Zapper worked with Unilever to create an enhanced QR code called Accessible QR, which enables packaged goods to speak to the blind and partially sighted. If you're thinking XR, give the team at Zapper a call or visit Zapper.com to see how they can help you on your XR journey. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz and Roni Abovitz. It is Friday, December 15th, 2023, and it's this week in XR. Our guest is Marcus Segal. He is the founder and CEO of 4VR, uh, which uh, has a number of uh, very simple, familiar games like 4BR Bowling and 4BR Darts. Uh, I think we're going to get a pretty good uh, developer's perspective on what's going on with the Quest and with Meta right now uh, and what it's uh, like inside of the VR market where it really counts. So, uh, Again, thank you to our sponsor, Zapper, and uh, let's get to the news. Uh, first of all, uh, Roni was at Art Basel this week. We were just chatting up about that in the green room. Uh, Roni, is there anything from a, either an AI or an XR perspective about Art Basel that we should know? Um, you know, there might have been uh, at, at events that were going on. The, the part I got exposed to was actually quite analog. Uh, it was interesting. It was an artist that's very digital and very digital forward who then went out of his way to make gigantic prints using one of the oldest um, silkscreen printers in Paris. I think that goes back hundreds of years. So it was, oh, uh, man. <laughs> it was the reverse of digital and AI. He took digital, dig, you know, he took work he watercolored, digitized it, built a following on Instagram. And then made massive prints at this very old printer on like really fancy paper with you know, from 1500s, like, you know, uh, techniques and that people loved. So I thought it was very interesting, this reversing digitization into something very analog and old and, and, and the value of those prints seemed to be much more interesting to people because of the, the realness of the paper and the nature of how he used these like old print shops and stuff. So I think, I think it was very interesting thing as a 180 degree opposite from like an NFT in the digital world, the tangibility and the feeling of it uh seemed to also imbibe it with value so it was a very very kinda interesting like, uh perspective kind of like what's kind of like what's happening with um the the re re revolution of vinyl becoming mm-hmm. you know, a thing again and and yeah. the liner notes and the album covers and the, mm-hmm. the actual vinyl pressings uh becoming important again you know yeah. uh, all things all things sort of cycle uh through their life right we move into I will be doing a vinyl I will I will let you guys know but I'm working on a vinyl too Of course you are. Of course you are. So here's awesome. Here's a fun one, guys, just to start off the day. Dictionary.com announced that the AI sense of the word hallucinate is the 2023 word of the year. Objections were immediately lodged by the neglected AI senses of the words prompt, model, and animate. Huh. (laughs) <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that one. <laughs> nope, that was just the clever opening of my column. I couldn't resist. Uh, so Epic Games 
wins a $92 million judgment against Google for violating antitrust laws in the App Store by prohibiting them from charging customers directly. Uh, this is a very big deal because it's a kind of reversal of the earlier verdict in the uh, bench trial. So uh, I don't know where they go from here. Yeah, Supreme I mean, this Court. is the, they've been clawing around on this for years now, right? Trying to, to pull back their ownership stake. And uh, it looks like maybe the tide is moving in that direction a little bit now, huh? So does this verdict apply to Apple also, or are they reopening that lawsuit? Uh, also, Google said they would appeal. So uh, for those developers trapped in the app stores right now, I'm not sure your release is imminent. Uh, but um, but it does seem like this is going to become a bigger and bigger deal as Apple is drawing into it. I guess we'll have to see. I think this is one of those never-ending sagas, right, where they're just going to keep working this and working this because the uh, the economics are so meaningful on both sides of the equation that they'd rather fight than than settle. So yeah, I was thinking that Google, when they found out it was a ninety-two million dollar judgment, was like, "Phew, we thought it was going to be painful." Piece of cake, right? Yeah, <laughs> just write a check and move on. Exactly. I mean, I mean. Just to put in context for our listeners and viewers, um, that is that is not the highest salary of top Google execs. Of course, yeah. So you're talking about less than a one year salary. Maybe you're a top <laughs> in the top ten of executives. That may be a bonus. So in, in the scheme of things for them, it's a pimple on a pimple on the elephant. So yeah. it, it wasn't like a ninety two billion dollar uh, thing. It, it, so on one way, is it is it a pyrrhic victory? Yeah, you know, because whoever gave that judgment knows it's meaningless. It's like asking us for like a dollar. You know, well, you it was a jury award, so it's possible they didn't really understand uh, the nuances that you are now explaining. Unaware of the valuation of Google. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because they're just normal people work walking around <laughs> trying to get by. Yes. So, so um, speaking of not normal things, Mistral, the French. Uh, I guess OpenAI uh, just raised $415 million at a $2 billion valuation, um, led by many of the usual suspects like SoftBank. Um, their technology makes it easy for people to build their own models. Uh, I guess that's their unique kind of spin. Uh, the chat GPT store, although you can build your own models, you can't self-distribute them, uh, you know, on some kind of an exchange. Uh, Mistral says that people are going to build the apps that they build, and they're not responsible for that, um, much like social media companies um, you know, try and protect themselves by saying that they can't control their users either. So uh, interesting, interesting company. I don't know. Do you guys have any perspective on them? Not as well known as OpenAI. The, the only perspective is more of a global perspective, and I'm, a lot of the talks and discussions I'm doing these days relate to inspiration versus ip gathering or ip theft and and that's another one of those really challenging areas you know because everyone's inspired by everything that we touch right we don't live in a vacuum we don't work in a vacuum we don't create in a vacuum if you're a creator so you're inspired by things you know back when we were kids we'd go to the library we'd read books our teachers and professors would say go look at this if you're interested in pursuing this field if you're interested mm -hmm. in you know doing something in this vein, go see what others have done. And now we have an electronic version of that that crosses, again, these chasms of, of ownership so easily. Um, so it's interesting to kind of watch, you know, the people that are trying to hold their own, some certain artists and authors, you know, and, and creators 
uh, and others that just say I'm using it as inspiration. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the closed models are also an interesting subset of that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. the EU has finalized their AI Act. And they tried to balance a lot of interest, but I think it's going to have a profound effect uh, on the industry. Uh, the oversight is kind of obvious, right? They um, you know, want to make sure the training data is transparent, that they comply with copyright laws, and if demanded by regulators to provide uh, technical documentation so that they can look at the systems. Uh, it also addresses things like the police using AI for facial recognition. So I think they confined that to things like terrorism. Um, you know, it's it's unclear. It doesn't exactly apply to open source models, which is what you just mentioned, Ted. And and that could be problematic in the future. But it's something, and it's going to apply to American companies doing business in the EU. And of course, American companies immediately re- responded by saying what they're asking is actually impossible. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a question maybe for Roni. This is what I think potentially a good and valid use of the underpinnings of blockchain is if the impossibility of human tracking and even the computers themselves tracking the ownership stake and ownership kind of provenance of, of a certain piece of IP or collective of IP or collective of areas of inspiration. Do you, Roni, do you think blockchain can be used if uh, an AI chooses to be fully on the blockchain? that every instance of everything it references and pulls can make a call and a queue to someone. And if they register their IP in that chain and say, you know, it's this novel that I wrote or this article that I wrote or this music that I created or whatever it is, I want to make sure that anytime anybody touches it in an AI instance, it triggers a royalty moment like they do with the the streaming audio um, um, services all around the world today, right? They're all these little micropayments that get triggered. Um, but it's still somewhat of a manual process. I'm just curious if you guys have a, have a thought so, on so that. So, Ted, I'm going to pull a Ted Apple Vision Pro moment on you uh, <laughs> because I'm because I'm building uh, stuff in AI right now. Um, all I'll do is smile and wink. Okay, well, that's enough for me to know that that, that <laughs> isn't a terrible idea and someone will, maybe it's you or maybe it's others or a collective of people will figure out a way to start compensating people for their work uh, in a way that is just as modern as the AI technology that is well, uh, sort of cutting listen, through it right now. Listen, listen to this news story. Again, totally related to what you're talking about. OpenAI has entered into a deal with Alex Springer. For those of you who don't know Alex Springer, they're the biggest publisher, news publisher. They're the um, you know Rupert Murdoch of Germany, if you will. Uh, they also own Politico and Business Insider in the United States, which are very prestigious uh, publications that are known for their original reporting and their deep research. So they're going to feed all of that into their GPT model uh, and it'll be totally, you know, in terms of current events and news, it'll totally be licensed material. And there'll be some sort of pay gate. They'll, they'll, they'll yeah. see a return on that investment based on that use case. So there you go. It's starting to come together. Yeah. yeah. And so there's yeah. another company. Sorry, go ahead, Roni. I was going to say, I, I know the the CEO, Matthias Doppler, uh, they were actually Magic Leap investors too. So uh, one of the things about them is they're very uh, forward. They want to be very early into into tech. Um, it is a little, I'll tell you that a, a little weird um, from the perspective of are they handing over the keys to the kingdom um, or do they realize the keys will be taken anyway, so they're trying to benefit from it? 
I, I would think the latter. I would also think OpenAI, you know, needs air cover. Yes. So maybe whatever they're paying Apple's uh, Axel Springer, if it covers them for the whole news industry, uh, it probably is well worth it. And others will follow, right? I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a exactly it's a, it's a step in the direction. I mean, that... Twitter Twitter has Grok, right? Which is kind of reading all of Twitter and reconstituting it for you in some weird way, right? So I mean, it's you're beginning. To I've see been using that. it. I, I've been using it. It's it's a weak ass chat GPT, basically, uh, that is <laughs> well, better like better better for current events. Uh, not completely accurate. You kind of have to click the links that it gives you. So it's kind of a Google search. Um, you know, so that's where it is right now. I mean, supposedly it'll, I assume it'll keep getting better, but right now I paid for it and I'm not sure I'm going to keep paying for it because I have ChatGPT and other platforms. So um, I was going to mention Essential AI. Uh, they raised $56.5 million. That used to be a lot. Um, they had raised $8 million per previously, but, you know, again, it's AMD, Google, NVIDIA, uh, and some other guys. So those are some pretty knowledgeable. They do a full stack uh, to increase productivity and animate uh, 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 business workflow. So, um, oh, and here's one we should hit. I don't. Marcus isn't in the green room yet. Uh, Tesla robot came out this week, uh, and it can handle an egg without breaking it. At the same time, they're recalling two million Teslas because I they're know. overly <laughs> concerned about the uh, um, autonomous driving uh, having too many. Uh, incidents as it were <laughs> imagine way, having um, imagine having an accident with your robot <laughs> well it does happen and you know robots can be very scary when they go wrong so uh charlie can i tell you the the egg robot thing it just remind me of um the very first year we we had the make a robot at a conference it was at the american academy orthopedic surgeons conference and we were across the way from another company it was a german company that had a big giant robot and it was this idea of which robot can touch an egg carefully um and you know one was like peeling the shell off and everyone was trying to show the egg somehow as the arbiter of um of somehow meaningfulness and what, what we did is we had our robot touch the, the opposing ceo our competitor at the time we had our robot like kind of brush his nose um, I'm like the egg it could crush, but like having it do this very gently and us guaranteeing it's not going to hurt you is a different game. Will you let your robot do that? He was like, hell no. Mm -hmm. um, so that other robot out of business. But the, the whole egg thing is like, I think people have been trying to use that for a long time. It doesn't I, tell you. It's though, a kind of Turing test for robots. Yeah, it is like the egg <laughs> test. It's kind of funny. It's a robotic test. All right. Marcus is in the green room. So let's bring him in and find out what's going on in the world of meta developers. Right. We we should have that kind of waiting music that they used to use in TV game shows. Marcus. Hey guys. Hey, welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for for joining us. Do you, I know? Don't think you know Roni and Ted. Not yet. <laughs> we know your work this is the well, though. Beginning of our journey together, gentlemen. We're we are a fan of what you do, um, and. Uh, I, uh, Roni and uh, Charlie have heard me reference this both in person and uh, on the podcast many times. Anybody that tracks in the well understood trail of the power of the Nintendo Wii and creates a really, really good and accurate simulation of something we used to do in the real world and then we did in the Wii 
and now we do in VR, uh, touches, ticks all the boxes for me. And your bowling uh, simulator, the, the four VR bowling thing is one yeah. of those because it's a lot of fun. Uh, I played it uh, myself just, you know, in training, planning, and I played it with other people, both randomly and friends. And uh, it is, to me, it's the evolution of how much fun we used to have in the living room uh, with Wii Bowling. And, uh, yeah. and it's even better. So good I'll on you. I'll tell you this, you do not want to play Charlie in bowling. <laughs> that was dumb luck on the lowest level. That's all I can say. Does Charlie know how to spin the ball in VR and turn it over and hit strike after strike? I mean, it was just, it was really embarrassing. I did practice a little bit before Marcus and I met up and stuff, but I will say this about four VR bowling. Give yourself some room or you're going to break your hand in your controller. Just <laughs> like the Wii. Like if you remember what exactly. happened with the Wii yeah, years ago. Except you didn't have a freaking headset on on the Wii. Right. <laughs> but right. i like the fact that that they added when when marcus developed it they added some levels of magic in it because i mean it's it sort of walkabout mini golf does this too it's, it, it's delightful because why does it have to have gravity <laughs> right we're in vr it could do anything do that's anything, why yeah. when people say they want to walk in vr i'm like why would you care about walking in vr yeah, why would you want to do such a pedestrian activity <laughs> exactly as yeah, yeah no, you I mean, can you can change the lighting into the neon mode, and you can do all yeah. this stuff in an instant. It's very fun. So, yeah. and we're fans. Congratulations! It's a great game. And uh, so, Thank how you. is it? How is it going? It's Christmas, right? All developers in the Meta Store are happy in December. <laughs> I mean, it 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 really is. Uh, it really is a Q four plus January business <laughs> in VR. Uh, I think we're you know. I think that we're all sort of in hurry up and wait mode to see how many people got a quest three for Christmas. Um, when on the, when I, I saw, you know, I, I got to see the device a long time ago and I was like, wow, this is a, a big leap forward over the quest two. Unfortunately it was accompanied by a big price increase. And so, yeah, you know, I, I don't really know, you know, uh, my mom would, my mom and dad never would have gotten me anything that was, uh, you know, the inflation adjusted, uh, price of seven hundred dollars. Yeah. So I don't know what it's going to do, but uh, you know, I think the devices do keep getting better, and we'll see with Apple entering the fray uh, what'll happen. Are you are you starting to look at developing because with certainly the unknowns around the Quest 3's market success, but are you looking at developing uh, mixed reality um, sort of use cases for the different sports that you do the. Sort of so we did, sports and things. Yeah, we we if you download uh Forever Bowl and Forever Pool now, there are MR modes. So if you guys they already have it. Yeah, if you update the games you have, people really love uh playing pool in MR. Uh yeah, it's in their in their living room, right? In their house. It's in their living room. And it's kind of it's cool that you could have a pool table in your living room even if your living room is small. Mm -hmm. And you know, playing <laughs> playing against somebody and it it's it just is really a nice it's a really nice MR application. Um, so I, you know, that one's out, bowl is out and, uh, and, and pool and soon bowl in a week uh, are both on PSVR two. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. That's going to be, actually, that's going to be huge for you. I think. Well, I think that, I don't think that PSVR two is huge. Oh no. Oh, I, I'm sorry. It's, but, is it not available on the four? Um, it's not a. It, it's only available um, in VR. None of our games are available uh, okay. in any format other than the VR. But they're in on. They're on. You know, Steam. They're on PSVR two, and uh, you know, we're we're excited to see kind of the games be everywhere that you can play. But you know, it's it's really one of those. Uh, I 
you know, the winter, I think we're in the long winter for VR before the devices get cheaper again. Um, you know, at 300 bucks, it was a no brainer to take a flyer on a VR device, you know, at 600 bucks plus, you know, well, well if see. you want a quest two, which is really not worse than the quest three, except for the mixed reality of which there is not a lot yet. Yeah. So for me, if I were going to buy, if, if price was holding me back, I could go onto eBay and for a hundred dollars buy you know, a new a headset or a new used headset in its box. Right. Yeah. So, and stick it right under the tree for a hundred bucks. And then you have plenty of money left over for software and it's still less than $200. So I think if people, if price was keeping people back, um, yeah. and, and by the way, I, I think this is really turning out to be true, a rare prediction of mine that they're flying off the shelves. I mean, there's a lot the of uh, reports. Yeah. The two, the two. I heard Charlie. It's it's outselling the three by like five to one, ten to one, or something. <laughs> well, like, it's, which they is... cut the price to two fifty, and a lot of retailers are you know marking it down even more. I think I saw Walmart at two twenty nine. So uh, that's I mean, again, if price was holding you back, yeah, that's a lot of device for two hundred twenty nine bucks. It really is. Oh it's God. kind of I mean, remarkable what the market will do when you've got a newer product. But yeah. still, inventory of an older product. That... And I'm still, and I'm still using it. I've got to tell you because I find that the three gets warm and it dries out my eyes. Mm. I don't mind the amount of warmth. I mean, it's only like an hour and a half of battery, but um, but still, my eyes dry out, and mm -hmm. so that makes me. You get a feeling when your eyes get dry like that. I got to rub my eyes. I got to close my eyes. So you got to take the headset off. So in many ways, the two is still the better device. Although, as I said, for mixed reality, obviously. It's not so good. But, but for I, I, go ahead. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, I like gonna be, oh, Are you going to be on the two? Are you going to be still thinking two for next year? Well, for me, basically, um, we we were we're set up for Quest Two and Quest Three, and basically, we we're going to keep making the games backwards compatible for as long as we can, so that people who bought the game can keep playing and. You know, we we aren't interested in in locking anybody out, and so you know, I think with VR, there's a, a common behavior which is people kind of get the device and they buy three or four games and they kind of binge them and then they put the device in a drawer and they forget they have it. And so, you know, I think that we're the the form factor. I think the boot up process. A lot of things have to change before VR can become a daily habit. Like I, I've got a quest. I've, I'm one of those suckers who bought the Quest Pro for a grand, and uh, yeah, I, I did that too. That was a mistake. Ted did I too. Know, I know, but and, Ted charged it to Paramount. Yeah, so well, that's I, the yeah. Difference. I mean, I have to get everything for work. So, <laughs> but I, I basically, you know, I, I you know, I, I put this thing on, and I, I am in VR almost every day, and uh, it's decided it needs to update my controllers, and. My friends are waiting for oh, me. That used to be mm -hmm. a steam thing. Oh god! And it and it's like I just blew through twelve percent of my battery <laughs> getting these controllers, and it's like you're sitting there, and it's going, you know. And well, also, also the charging, the desktop charging yeah. is a disaster. I've been through three of those plates; oh. they break easily. And uh, as you said, there are charging issues. I love the open sides; I really do. It's always, especially as someone who wears glasses, I mm. need extra air in there. Um, so uh, those aftermarket know, I, fans are great. They're like thirty bucks. Oh, really? I have to find, look at that. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's another it would thing make, you've got to charge, but... <laughs> because because of that, because of that, you know, sort of heat management problem, I really can't do the fitness games or uh, something like Beat Saber. After 15 minutes, I'm completely fogged. I can't. I produce I'm, I'm too a, much I'm moisture. Super, <laughs> I'm a supernatural fan. Yeah, I'd like to think my body is operating quite efficiently <laughs> as I'm drenched in sweat. I have the fan uh, attachment you can buy on Amazon for 30 bucks, and it blows air in there. And uh, I can keep playing. That's that's a fun. great invention. I have to look yeah. that up. But hey, yeah, I, uh, I Marcus, this, yeah. can we can we go back a step because now we're we're in the in the mix of talking like people that are into VR every second of their day. <laughs> um, can you back up and tell us a little bit about your career arc and and what led you to this? What you've done before VR, if that was interesting and relevant, and sure. what got you to the stage you're at now? Sure. Uh, so so basically. Uh, you know, when I got out of college, I was making TV shows for History Channel and A&E, and I was a uh, computer nerd. And then when the Internet 1.0 kind of took off, I moved, you know, uh, sold my stuff, you know, moved to Silicon Valley and took a job at emusic.com and began a, a startup journey. And I became a, a startups operations guy. And I was a COO of emusic.com. And then I did some, you know, kind of more infrastructure plays. And then I was very early at Zynga, like a, like the first two dozen people. And initially they had me kind of operating everything that wasn't games. And so I was sort of setting up all of the support functions like payments and QA and things like that. But then at the time we had, you know, Mafia Wars and poker. And then we had this long tail of reskins of Mafia Wars, like um, pi- yeah, there was Pirate Wars, Fashion Wars, uh, Prison Wars, Space Wars, like this long list of spreadsheet games. And no one was managing. Well, it. so it wasn't, this was before Farmville. Oh, yeah. And so basically no one was managing the long tail of games and they were still making money. And it's like, you know, hey, back then, you know, blockbusters still written flash dance. Like if the if the if the tape's making money on the shelf, like don't turn the game, don't turn it off. And so I raised my hand and said, hey, I don't want to just run cost centers. Let me take these games. And so I got a handful of games and I started operating them. And it turned out I had a great passion for it and I really loved it. And so I moved over to the game side of the house. I became the COO of the game studios. And I always, you know, operated, you know, uh, I kind of became the guy who ran the games that were on their way out. Mm. <laughs> the long, I was a long tail guy. And I hadn't I had the experience of building a game hands-on from scratch. And I certainly had never worked on any game that was high fidelity. And so after I left Singa, I, you know, I'm figuring out what to do next. And there I am in the lockdowns, right? I'm 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 locked down in a in a cabin in Northern California, and I'm like, okay, it's time. Like it's VR's time. And and what I want to do right now is I want to play Wii sports with my friends who are all over the place. I want right. that's what I want to exist. And so I decided to create Forever Games um, to to basically bring these games to market to sort of solve this problem. Did you raise uh, capital to do this? Was it a totally self-funded thing, or? Yeah, I ra- no, I raised capital. <clears throat> I raised venture capital and some seed capital from friends who also wanted to get together and play. Right. And so, you know, I um, some great investors like uh, Justin Kahn and Emmett Shear from Twitch mm-hmm. uh, were in there. Mark Pincus from Zynga, like just a bunch of great, uh, great yeah. people who were Those like, "Yes, this makes nice sense. network to have." Yeah, it's a great network to have. Uh, but it was it was basically like, "Yes, this makes sense." Let's so it was just that. a natural evolution play, basically, for you. You sort of moved from place to place. I'm curious uh, if you know our friend Maureen, uh, who is now at Baobab. She was a Zynga. Of course. 
Yeah. Of course, Maureen's a Maureen's a good friend and and an incredible talent. Um, like a, I think she's a generational talent actually. Like a, mm-hmm. you know, and and her, she knew when she was at Zynga. We used to talk about it. She but said, by the way, just to digress yeah. for one second, when you meet her, have you met her, Ted? Oh yeah, many times. We're, she we're she is a very very powerful person. Yes, mm-hmm. she's she a little a bit force, like Roni. A force of nature. When she walks into the room, you're like, oh whoa. She's got she definitely has the force on her side. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> even when we were at, at Zynga, so she at Zynga, she stood out for her, you know, basically her analytical uh prowess, mm-hmm. you know, which is we were a data-driven shop. Of but course. She was with the rare blend of incredible data chops, plus she's an artist. And we didn't have a lot of that, and we did not we were not the friendliest place for such a person. Um, you know, because basically we would emulate, that's the word <laughs> for other games that were in the market, um, you know, and we put out our version. So, you know, at, at Zynga, when we made Farmville, there was a, a game in China, games in China that were doing well. And then a game called, called Farmtown came out in, uh, in the U.S. and it got to 5 million DAU. And, and then we had to put together a team and respond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we re-released Farmville in 12 weeks. And Farmtown was releasing new content once every two weeks, and we decided to release new content five times a week in twenty six languages. And so you caught you caught the Facebook wave just perfectly, like you were sort of there at their inflection point where they went from college students to the entire world. You know, I'm I'm going to just say I I don't know uh, I don't know if this is controversial to say this, but I think that we uh, Zynga was actually a part of that happening because people oh, start yeah. joining Facebook to play the games. Yeah. Facebook used to send us emails because they would forward emails because uh, customer service, people thought that Facebook made the games. Mm. But Marcus, I, I, I remember that. And I remember asking, um, I remember asking people, well, why isn't Facebook buying, buying Zynga? You know, so I, I met Mark yeah. Pincus and I was like, it made, <laughs> it seemed that it was fated to happen, and when it didn't, it didn't make any sense because mm-hmm. I think a third of Facebook users were were coming in because of Zynga at the time. So it was like one of those curious head scratching. What happened here? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's I could only tell one side of the story. I couldn't tell yeah. the other side of the story, but I do think it was an interesting experience. I'll say this uh, for Facebook. So you know, uh, for all of us who've been in in the game for a long time, like usually if you're a big customer. Uh, you buy a lot of a company's products or spend a lot of money on them, they might take you to a basketball game once in a while or right. do a fruit basket at the holidays. <laughs> like there's a lot of like, especially, oh, yeah. especially back then, there was a lot of like, oh, yeah. biz, nice, niceness, right? Yep. yep. Not with Facebook. We were their biggest, we were their biggest advertiser by a mile, by a mile. Never got a fruit basket, never got a card. <laughs> Never was taken to a basketball game. or. That's why people are fired and hired by email. (laughs) Same thing, right? I mean, it's like you're a number. Yeah. And I think that for him, for Zuck, my my theory is that he basically looked at his feed and it's like, this is too much of this company and too much games in general. Now... In my mind, it's like, how hard would it be to create a tab for people that like games and all the game stuff would go over there 
And uh, that didn't seem like it would be too hard, but, you know, uh, he, they really kind of uh, pushed games to the side for a while there, including yeah. Zynga. And it hit so, us so the world turns in VR, of course, for them. It's all about games. Yeah, the, exactly. And then they had to watch Twitch happen. And they're not getting it right. They're not really getting it right. Not themselves. No, it's tough. Um, look, Social I mean, I, VR is so hard. I think I think VRs. I think that's true. I think for me, it starts when I put on the headset. What's wrong? I I put on the headset and I am sort of looking at a store like I would be looking on my on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like it's not the metaverse. I'm not like walking in to this environment and it's like here's my stuff. I'm in. I mean, well, that's eight, what their that was their original plan, but I think they pivoted away from that, and they're putting the home screen into the real world uh, for the Quest Three, and I think that's a good idea because games yeah. have not worked out for them the way they thought, and there is a tremendous amount of churn, and so they need to pivot. Mixed reality seems to be the pivot, and I think they're smart. They need to, you know, it's. I mean, they are in it up to their neck, so they're not turning back. Uh, and so they have to find something that works. And it may be mixed reality, but more than mixed reality. And here's where I think we differ a little bit, Marcus, is that I don't think what we're missing at this point is better technology. The technology is really good. And, you know, we've been saying for you, oh, standalone with reasonable graphics. I mean, we got it. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And it still hasn't hit an inflection point or a hockey stick point where it, it's more than a niche games console. And I think Apple will be up against the same thing when they launch. Okay, here's the technology. Where is Game of Thrones? If you remember back in the 2000s, when The Sopranos came out, I think we're talking around 2000. Yeah, I think it was the year 2000. The Sopranos came out. It was like, oh my God, do I have HBO? I have to get HBO. Whatever it costs, I need to get HBO. And I kept it for five years. But Charlie, I'm just going to just say the word Halo. Which is a, yes, a yes. game in VR, and it's not in the top fifty. It's not in the right. top fifty because we don't know what that game or experience <laughs> is yet. Charlie, okay. can, I, can I argue Please. with you guys for a sec? Yes, so that that's what we do here. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and Marcus, tell me what you think. But um, I think the friction between putting on something like a Quest Three or the Apple Vision Pro and putting on a pair of Oakleys is the friction between snorkeling and scuba diving and putting on a pair of sunglasses. And I'm just, just follow this for a second. You're saying the technology isn't a problem. I'm like, I'm saying it still is. When you, when you could pick up a Quest 10 and it's like <laughs> putting on a pair of Oakley's and just works and all the bullshit we talked about is gone, you're going to have a billion plus people. Because I think that stuff that's in the way also stop people from like adopting cell phones and other things at scale. Apple created a frictionless system. It took them to like the iPhone four, five, six to really nail it. But you had to use a phone functionally, right? There's so if you want people to do games, which is like you don't have to, you have to have that frictionless of sitting down, picking up your PlayStation or Xbox, picking up your phone and just like opening up an app. I think that level of no mental energy friction, by the way, will come. Um you know, who's gonna get it first? Will it be Apple, will it be someone else? But that that like lightness of something, you just take it off your desk and put it on your face and you're going. I think what you're doing, Marcus, would explode. But I think I I mean I, I expressed this earlier. It's like I put the I put the device on, I got friends waiting to play, and I'm and I burned 10% of my battery and 
it feels like forever. Waiting in VR feels yeah. really like a minute. A minute is ten minutes. And I'm sitting there and I'm going like this, <laughs> my hands waiting to see if I could do anything. But you Marcus, know? imagine this: you go like this, and yeah. there are your friends. And then Roni is putting on his glasses for those listening. But Roni, you I have think to hang on until that moment because then your company explodes. I, you have a thousand got to yeah, survive till then. A, th- a thousand percent, but that could be <laughs> it's gonna be really hard. But but I do think that the uh other challenge though is you're gonna put on that Apple Vision Pro and then you're gonna pick up your Xbox controller, and now you're playing an Xbox game on an iMac screen sitting on your couch. And I don't know that VR is gonna have an E because they didn't even mention the letters V and R anywhere in that Apple demo. I watched it three times. The letters V and R, even words with V in it were not, I think, deliberately not used. So it couldn't be recut to say the letters V and R. And I think it's going to be, you know, now you you have, um, you know, the compute power in a Quest 3 of a like a, a PlayStation 2 or 3. And the graphics rendering and the frame rate challenges that we face as developers in this space up against a, a gaming supercomputer casting on my face. And so... I'm not sure if the Apple headset's going to be a leap forward for virtual reality at all. Um, and on top of that, you're going to be able to wear the thing and receive your calls. And oh, I'm I'm playing. Oh, oh, an important text message came in. I'm going to hold on, pause, and you know, uh, and all that. And the the con- the controllerless aspect of the Apple. That means, you know, think about how many buttons are on a, on a Quest two or three controller. It's still fewer buttons than you have on a Sony or an Xbox. It limits games that limits gameplay. Well, so. and I, I think what's interesting listening to you guys talk for the last few minutes around this is there's a thesis that kind of keeps bubbling up in the background for me, moves to the foreground, then moves to the background. Um, and this is not maybe the most optimistic news I think any of us want to hear, but I am building more and more of a of a version of where the future goes that Anytime you're using any sort of wearable, it is not ever going to reach mainstream threshold. It is, hmm. it, is, it is an exotic device by nature. It has a value point. It has a market point. It has a, a user base, a passionate user base that you know we're all in. Um, but I think until you get to a different sort of what the evolution of technology will bring us in terms of like simulation rooms in our homes and things that just happen in the same way that we turn on a TV or open our computer, um, the just the simple act of doffing and donning the device and all of the things that come with it, which of course gets solved, right? I mean, all the little things, but just the act of that makes it exotic in and of itself. It's it's the same reason that, you know, there, there are not theme parks on every corner of the planet, right? They are specialized devices in and of themselves that drive massive amounts of people and massive economics, it, but yeah, different than everyone having a TV in their living room, right? So I think, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but that's sort of where I'm going with all this. I'm just flashing back to, you know, uh, the the Meta, the, the, the Workrooms product, mm-hmm. and we really try to use it at Forever. No, we did too. Yeah. We're distributed to me too. And it was really funny because you could tell when someone was looking at their phone while they had the, they'd have their headset. <laughs> <up. laughs> and you see yeah. their you see their avatar's head is just uh-huh. kind of like uh-huh. this. <laughs> I actually think the the ideal way to do it. I you know I taught all the way through the pandemic, and because of the topics that I teach, 
all the students and I had VR headsets. So we would put our headsets on, have a VR experience, even if it's a social experience. And then we uh, take our headsets off and come back to Zoom and are able to have a discussion. And because we were going in for limited times, because this was a moment in history where we all wanted to be together, even though we had to be apart, it, it made the classes really special, right? And since we have been in person, I have not been able to replicate that. Uh, that being said, it is rare to have that much of a student's attention in the physical world, they've come from something, they're going to something, they're involved with other people at whatever drama, be it sports or dating or whatever. Uh, so it changes the context completely. And that, of course, makes them less receptive to deep information about any one topic. Um, but I, I think, you know, there is a way to be remote, which is doesn't have the downsides of Zoom or VR, but it is so specialized, <laughs> you know, and I can't make people do it. I can't replicate it uh, just with one class. You know, but, I need to have yeah. a whole semester to get people acclimated. But that combination of 2D and 3D seems to be a sweet spot. Uh, and I think maybe that's kind of where Apple is, is thinking they're going to position uh, the Vision Pro. Well, I think Ted is, you know, the word you said something, you said the two two words, maybe they're one word with a hyphen. It depends on your way you do things, but mass market. Mm -hmm. And mm. so the idea of mass market, the threshold for mass market, you and I maybe have different ideas about what that is. So, you know, a PlayStation 5 is a mass market device. Do we agree? Oh, yes. Okay. And we agree that the iPhone is a mass market device. Massively mass market. Okay. There's a big so PlayStation Big number 5, difference, right? PlayStation 5, 100 million. They'll sell 100 to 120 million of those in a five or six year cycle. And, and then there, and there's a billion smartphones. Right. Uh, so I there's actually say, 3 billion smartphones, but three, yeah. 3 billion smartphones. A healthy market for VR could be 10, 15 million devices working. Uh, you know, I, I still kind of consider that pseudo exotic, though. Like, it's yes, more exactly, exotic. exactly. So, I'd say is is a PlayStation Five. I think that VR uh, across multiple devices can get to the 100 million threshold um, in the next five years. Yeah, I um, agree with that. Yeah, but I do not think it will have. Unfortunately, the PlayStation Five. I read somewhere that they have an 85 percent activation rate, meaning. 85% of the people that own a PlayStation 5 turn it on every month. And I think that, I don't know what it is, Meta will never say, but I don't know that it's above 20 or 25% uh, active. So if they sold 20 million of them, right. you know, they got 4 million active user base, hard to build a business if you're a developer, um, made uh, also more difficult when they give away free games that come with the headset. You're like, oh no, don't give away free games. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I think it will get to that 100 million unit number um, within five years. But I also thought that th that three years ago. So yeah. <laughs> when I started my company. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, these are interesting things that we we think about and look at you know all the time. Um, here's a, another vein of questioning I'm curious about, Marcus, in terms of like if, other, if listeners on this are looking to emulate you and your success in this world, maybe tell them about how big your team is, 
um, the level of success you feel like you've achieved, you're probably doing relatively okay economically and you're, you know, supporting yourself and your family and your team, right? But how, how big yeah. is that as a group? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you the journey. So basically, um, at the end of 2021, we were really crushing it. I mean, that was that was that was the quest. The height of the pandemic. Yeah. That was the, yeah, and and we had a, we had ramped up to a team of about 42. Wow. And now we are a team of a tiny but mighty team of like 20. And you know, we are kind of right sized for the opportunity now. It is a uh, it is a blast to make games in VR, and the people that you get to work with are really passionate about it, and they're believers. But it is a tough business right now, and it is near impossible right now to raise money for a VR startup. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're going to yeah. raise money for VR to do something, I would uh, just AI VR. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I I think something in the um, Something in the in the ed tech space, uh, business applications are having an easier time getting funding. Like there's a company called Transfer um, that's that's doing really well, and so that's kind of the the landscape right now. Is for games, it's tough. Well, um, it, it's interesting because you led me sort of into the next question. As you look at the evolution, Charlie and I talk very often about industrial applications being so successful, and with the level of simulation of those. 20 developers and whoever markets and you know all that group that you have that you've done on the commercial side do you think about I wouldn't call it a pivot but a extension of what you do to have fun in VR to bring that skill base into yeah, the is, be productive in This VR. is what Hologate did right during the pandemic yeah. when public their public space VR was essentially frozen they started to take in defense work and that's turned out to be uh, yeah. more lucrative and and obviously it can scale in a way that location-based entertainment can't. So the continuing their location-based business now that it's sort of coming back to life because they had a, a economically very attractive product, uh, but the defense thing uh, is exploding and it's raised their valuation and it, it enabled them right. so to, raise the to raise around where no wanted VR, as you said, market. Marcus can get anyone's attention. Well, they Marcus, almost use the VR as a the, the mm -hmm. consumer fund VR as an R and D platform. Mm -hmm. They're real profit zone, which is an interesting. <laughs> Marcus, I'm going to give you like unsolicited Lucy five cents on this. Um, <laughs> to raise anything right now from venture capital, um, unless you're going for some kind of like at scale AI. But here's where I think, as a gaming company, you can be funded um, if you are multi device and you have a really good team on VR, but you're on phones and tablets and other stuff, mm -hmm. then you're risk balanced. And then however long it takes to get to 100 million, investors are cool. You're building your brand, you're building an audience, and you'll just like transfer them from like phone, PlayStation to VR. They would much rather fund that. Uh, I, yeah. I've done probably a dozen projects like that where private equity and venture have called me up and we've like looked at companies and that's basically the most sane way to do it because none of them can predict exactly. But by the way, many funds believe everything you believe that it will go to a hundred million. It'll go to a billion. They don't know exactly when. So yeah. this kind of like portfolio approach as a studio that it you're agnostic to the shift uh, sure. from phone to tablet, to XR, to AR, to whether it's Apple or meta or um, this kind of mixed reality or that kind of VR. Like if you are a bit neutral and you can just move your brand across those devices, I bet your funding ability goes up 100x versus yeah, like I mean, I'm all in on just VR right now, which means I have some sense of the timing. 
and they all go, yeah. nobody really knows the exact sense. So I think risk balance might might help you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, look, the the challenge there is, so so basically when, when you're building for VR, I don't mean by company's name, I mean when you're building games <laughs> in VR, for the purpose of VR, um, the in order to be great in VR, right, in order to be the standout game in VR requires a different kind of investment. So, you know, if you look at what other bowling games look like that are multi-device, they, they're um, not as rich in experience and, and everything. But I agree with you being, um, if you're going to go start a game company, do not be VR only, um, <laughs> yeah. not time. So, um, and I, so, you know, so speaking of time, this is about yeah. all the time we have in our podcast. We, oh, this is, you know, Marcus, you are now the 51st, uh, guest this year, uh, who I'm has made us feel like old. it has made us feel like we never have enough time for the interview. So I apologize for that. This has been a fantastic conversation. You have such a keen and inside view of what's happening in VR. Of course, we're all hoping that the Quest Three gets out there uh, in in you know tens of millions uh, in yeah. the coming year. Uh, fingers crossed, uh, and that the category continues to grow. And as Roni said, that you can find other markets for your terrific product because I think the idea of taking a game like bowling or darts or pool that everybody can play and everyone is familiar with and do, doing it in VR and in impossible and magical ways uh, is still and always will be a fantastic idea. So uh, I'm looking forward to the next steps for you and your company. Yeah. So that's please, all the show we have. Sorry. Please keep at it because more yes. than anything, what you do is really fun and it's fun yeah. for people to play it. And that's what yeah. works about this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, keep we at shouldn't, it. we shouldn't right. forget that we are fundamentally in the fun business. Yes. Uh, and even the podcast is part of that fun business. Mar Marcus, fun? you're right. Just hang on. We'll do it. All right. Thanks guys. All right, thanks everybody. Have a great weekend. Right. And thanks for listening. All right.